This is Steve Stein, and you're listening to Inside Asia. Let me ask you a question. What are you doing, you alone, to safeguard your personal health and well-being? It's a question that keeps popping up for me. There's been no shortage of discussion around the rising cost of health care. The U.S. is flush with debate on medical inflation, who pays, and who gets access. Indeed, there's not a country in the world that doesn't worry about the problem. How to care for rapidly aging and increasingly ill communities is an issue of both political and economic consequence. Ultimately, who's responsible for health care? Governments? Doctors? Pharmaceutical companies, perhaps? How about hospitals? I find it interesting, if not downright shocking, that personal health care management rarely, if ever, comes up as a key ingredient in the overall health care debate. Why this might be is the subject of this week's Asia Insider Minute, that part of the program where I reflect on the conversation you've just heard and pose a few questions of my own. But first, let's hear from this week's guest, Dr. Bruce Lipton. His 2005 book, Biology of Belief, unleashed a flurry of new questions and critique around the role of conventional science and the attempt by the pharmaceutical industry to kidnap and control the health destiny of each and every individual. Big stuff. Bruce is no stranger to controversy. In the 15 years since his book's publication, he's pursued his science and unraveled the mysteries of the human body, the behavior of the human cell, and the nature-born ability of each of us to manage our health by adjusting to the conditions of our respective environments. This is a conversation in three parts. First, to lay the groundwork, I asked the good doctor to explain the scientific premise for his findings. If that sounds dry and clinical, wait for it. Lipton explains the function of the cell the way Dylan puts words to music. In part two of the discussion, we talk about the pharmaceutical sector's attempt to create much of what the body already does naturally. And in the last part of this 23-minute interview, I ask him to envision a healthcare system less dependent on pharmaceuticals and more dependent on self-awareness and consciousness. Sound radical? Well, it's not. It's science. Better to hear it from the man himself. I bring you Dr. Bruce Lipton. We are here in Rishikesh, India. I'm with Bruce Lipton at the International Yoga Festival. Bruce, it's great to see you. I am so happy you're here because that means that uh, you came for some good information because this is where to get the kind of information to make a really wonderful life. Uh, well, you're giving out some good information. And I got to say, it's going to be hard to be my cold, objective self after listening to you. You're quite an inspiration. Thank you for that. Oh, I download everything, so it's not me. You know, everybody says, oh, it's Bruce. I go, no, he's just a telephone conduit. Somebody's talking and I'm putting it out. Well, that's the, uh, the, the, the thing I want to talk to you about today is a little bit different from what you normally talk about, okay. which is Asia. And there's there, but before we get there, before we talk about Asia and some of the implications of Asia, I want to get Asia or aging. Asia, well, it like could the be continent. Well, one and the same. Right? <laughs> Asia is aging. Okay. But I really want to talk to you a little bit about you know you, uh, maybe Bruce Lipton version 1.0. Okay. Tell us a little bit for the for our listeners how you got started. What was the original version of you, and then what changed? <laughs> The original version was that uh, as a child, I looked into the microscope in second grade in school, and I saw these things moving around, amoebas, paramecia. And when you're a little kid, if you find something smaller than you, that you feel really big. And I kept watching them, but in my mind as a child, I said, these are like little people. They're not bouncing around like a pinball. They're going here, and then they're moving over here. And so that was the first impression of my mind that cells have these these lives and then I became a cell biologist and a stem cell biologist 
And you were a hardcore researcher for many years and writing scientific papers. Absolutely. I was at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine as a professor uh, in the medical school. And then uh, I took a hiatus and learned uh, some quantum physics and then came back and became a research scientist at Stanford University School of Medicine. Then there was a change. What happened? Was it an epiphany that rolled out gradually over many years or was it an instantaneous recognition that maybe there's something more here? I was working on understanding, my research led to the understanding that the environment was controlling genetics. I had trouble with my colleagues because they would say, well, that's an interesting idea, but how does it work? And I had zero idea of how it works, so I spent 10 years of understanding and it came to the understanding of what is called the cell membrane, the skin of the cell. Conventional science saw the cell membrane like a saran wrap, plastic wrap, holding the cytoplasm together. But when I started to look at it, I understood something that blew my mind, and that was this. The cell membrane, and this is a definition in like 1 o'clock in the morning, 1985. I write this definition, which is a scientific definition of the cell membrane. The cell membrane is a liquid crystal semiconductor with gates and channels. Now, in 1985, I just wrote that and I said, holy geez, I just read that somewhere. And I just got my first computer, a Mac. And I got a book from Radio Shack, Understanding Your Microprocessor. And I said, wait a minute. I opened up the book and right there in the introduction, a computer chip is a crystal semiconductor with gates and channels. At first I go, oh, what a coincidence. They have the same definition. Moments later, I looked and said, oh, wait a minute. This part is that part, this part is that part, and I started to find every part of a, of a silicon chip is related to every part of a cell membrane chip. The cell membrane is not like a chip, it's a carbon-based chip. So this is the first thing that blew my mind, it's like, oh my god, it's an information processor. It reads the environment, takes the information, processes it, and turns it into biology. So that's the interface of environment-adjust biology. But there was a moment later that my whole world changed because there's something very important, you know, which I knew, so I have to give you a little background, and that is no two people are the same biologically. And I say, how do you know that? I say, take my cells, put it in your body, your immune system will say not self and eliminate it. You put your cells in my body, my immune system says not self and eliminates it. So the first thing is this, our cells have a self because the immune system can tell whose cells are whose. And I said, well, what's the self? And then I was, you know, working in the field, of course. There are a set of receptors, which are the equivalent of antennas, mm. that read environment. Mm. And there's a special set called self-receptors. And this is what medical people use to match. A, a, you want to transplant an organ from person A into person B. You can't just throw it in anybody because their immune system will reject it. But there are overlaps of self-receptors, so you can share self-receptors with somebody else, a certain amount of them, not the whole set. So what doctors found is the more overlap, the less immune rejection, okay? So they call them self-receptors. And then it hit me and I said, oh my God, if you take the self-receptors off the cell, the cell has no identity anymore. If I take my cell, take my self-receptors off and put your self-receptors on the cell, it's not my cell anymore because if I put it back in my body, my immune system will go, that's not you. But I put my cell with your receptors into your body, your immune looks at the receptors and go, yeah, that's me and we'll keep the cell. But then the moment that hit was then, at that instant, this is all folding. Uh, you know, it'd take me 15 minutes to talk about it, but it was like in my already knowledge base, about 10 seconds, was to realize, oh my God, 
the receptors read a signal from the environment. Yeah. So my self-receptors are reading an environmental signal that's different than the environmental signal reading your self-receptors. Right. Then I say, well, wait, identity didn't come from inside the cell. Identity was a broadcast picked up by my receptors. You don't pick up my broadcast because you have a different set of receptors. So each of us is like a radio station. Hmm. Actually, the analogy I often tell people is like, we're like a television set. The body's a television set. The antennas on it, my television set plays the Bruce show. Right. Okay? And then I say, if you're watching a TV and it breaks, you say the TV's dead. I go, yeah. So if your body breaks and is dead, did my identity disappear? And I go, the identity wasn't in the body. It was in the environment. Mm. It was a signal. Mm. And I said, oh, my God, if I die, okay, I'm not online right now. But if another embryo shows up with my same receptors, yeah. I'm back online with a different TV set. So, so is the idea we should all tune into the same radio program? No, Not no, no. You're, you have your own program. Okay. But, then, but then how I feed off in the environment and how I receive what's in the environment influences the way that I function in the world. That's right. But you see, you put programs of how signals are coming in. How should I deal with a signal? Yeah. If you get a negative program and the signal comes in that's negative, yeah then you're going to manifest a negative behavior. Well, okay. there's a shift. Now, tell us a little bit about that, because this is your message now. It's like how you receive or how you engage with the world has everything to do with your personal health. Oh, absolutely, because we're viewing the world and we make decisions based on everything. So two people can be in the exact same environment, but have a different belief about things. And one's looking at the environment going, oh my God, this is a scary environment. And the other one's sitting there going, this is the most beautiful environment. I said, how can they're in the same environment? How do they see it different? I said, because there are filters, belief. Between the environment and your biology, there's a filter that looks at that and filters out certain things or enhances certain things. That's what filters do. Mm. So two people have different filters looking at the same environment, do not see the same picture. Mm. Okay? So, so if you're living in an environment that's uh, fraught with environmental issues or health crises, uh, coronavirus, whatever the case may be, <laughs> the fear rises and therefore yeah. you're, you're not receiving what you need and you need to then reprogram. Is that your suggestion? Absolutely, because yeah. fear, uh, uh, because you bring up coronavirus and it's very, uh, you know, moment at this moment important mm -hmm. to recognize this. A body can be in either of two positions, A or B, mm -hmm. growth or protection. Right. They can't do both at the same time for a simple reason. Let's say a stimulus offers growth. If it offers growth, you go to the stimulus and you go to the stimulus with your arms open to take in the growth. But if it's a threatening stimulus, A, you don't go to the stimulus, you go the other way, and B, you don't keep your arms open, you close yourself down to wall off it. So I say, you can't go forwards and backwards at the same time. You can't be open and closed at the same time. So you're either in the growth open going to the stimulus or you're in the protection uh, closed and going away now we get a threat coronavirus oh my god it's going to scare you so i say oh that puts me in a protection i say well what helps me go from growth to protection i say the stress hormones shut off growth and i say why would they do that i say because when you're in stress that's like the saber-toothed tigers chasing you i say so if you're in stress which organs do you think you need to give the most energy to arms and legs yeah. and i say well the body prefer now here's the word preferentially the body preferentially in stress sends the blood to the arms and legs because that's where the energy comes from i say preferentially where was the the blood before it was concentrated in arms and legs i say in the gut i say what's the function of the gut growth 
maintenance of body, healing, fixing, cleaning, taking care of it. So when you're putting blood in the gut, you're energizing growth and health. But when stress hormones come, they squeeze the blood vessels of the gut. And that's where people get, feel like butterflies in the stomach right. or they feel queasy. Right. There's a reason that's, for that. There's a reason. Yeah. That's the stress hormones causing the blood vessels to right. shut. Okay? Right. Right. And I say, when the blood vessels in the gut shut, where do you think? You're now pushing the blood to the arms and legs. Yeah. Okay? So the first thing is this. In stress, you shut down growth. And you get the blood ready for fight or flight. Now, here comes the bigger problem. The immune system is an internal protection device. I'm being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, uh, and I have a bacterial infection. Which one should I give priority to? And the obvious thing is just the hell with a bacterial infection, because the tiger catches you, the infection is nothing anyway. Yeah, you can pass on that okay. problem. So here's the most important, and if anybody out there is listening, this is the most important fact I can tell you. Stress hormones shut down the immune system to provide energy to the arms and legs to run away. Because feeding the immune system, which uses a lot of energy, why? Well, if you've ever been sick, you may not have even had the energy to get out of bed. Mm. The immune system uses tremendous energy. Mm. So if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, the last thing you want to do is fund the immune system. So your argument here, Bruce, is that train yourself to be the doctor, to care for the body that gives you everything you need to survive and thrive. The body. Uh, the body is self-healing. Mm. Look, people heal themselves for thousands of years yeah. before there was medical school here, okay? Right. And, and the idea that, oh, pharmaceutical drugs is what we need, I go, another fact. A drug to work inside the body has to match what is called a receptor, a protein on a cell. So the signal from the drug binds to the receptor and affects the cell. I go, great. Now here's the problem. Do you think you got a receptor for a drug waiting for the pharmaceutical company to make the drug? No, that'd be stupid. Nature already says you must make the equivalent of that drug or there wouldn't be the receptor in the first place. So I say, so what's the relevance? I say, why should I take pharmaceutical drugs, which are a sloppy, a sloppy version of the system inside the body? I say, because whatever is reasoning is that I'm not making that drug. I say, because I'm physically not making it? And I go, no, because the consciousness is not supporting that signal. And I say, and you get in your consciousness and you get in harmony, then all the supposed drugs that you get from the pharmaceutical company, we already make those drugs much better versions than pharmaceutical drugs. Just to give people a fact, yeah. Yeah. 300,000 people in the U.S. die every year from prescription drugs. And I say, oh, Wait, what about illegal drugs? I go, about 35,000 people die from illegal drugs. We have a war on illegal drugs, and yet 300,000 people die from pharmaceutical drugs, and we say, that's the cost of doing medicine. I go, that's too damn expensive. So, Bruce, what is the role for modern medicine? Is there any point in time when it's actually an effective solution? Okay. Or are you uh, are advocating returning to traditional medicine? Absolutely not. Uh, modern medicine... Uh, does miracles and trauma. If I'm in a car accident, I break a bone or I'm cut open, I don't want uh, homeopathy. I don't want chiropractic. I don't want massage therapy. I want a medical doctor because medical doctors do miracles with the physical body like a repairman does with a car. But if I go to the doctor with cancer, diabetes, cardiac conditions, am I going to get a benefit? And I say, not that much. Okay. 
because the pharmaceutical drugs are no replacement for the natural ability to heal ourselves. And the idea is there's new science. And as medicine accommodates the new science, then medicine will be better. But you know what? It'll more replicate ancient healing arts than today's current healing as arts. As it evolves. As it evolves. Yeah. And that's the generational switch from what is called genetics to the new science called epigenetics. Right. Now, people may have heard of epigenetics, but it's a revolution. The difference is the concept of genetics makes us victims to the genes. The concept of epigenetics says that we control the genes with our perceptions and our environment. And that all of a sudden says, well, I can control my perceptions, I can control the environment. Well, that means you can be master of your genes. You're not a victim of genes turning on and off. They don't even do that. It's consciousness that controls genes. Well, I said I was gonna talk about Asia at the beginning of this podcast, so here's the big question. Asia's at a crossroads. Uh, many markets today have per capita healthcare spend that is as low as $8 per annum. Uh, other rising middle class uh, 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 consumers are asking for more. They want more access to technology, uh, different t types of uh, modern uh, medicine curatives. Yeah. Um, what would be your advice to Asia governments right now as they start to make decisions about investing in high-tech or high-cost medical treatments? Very simple point. America has the highest cost of medical care, the most money ever invested in health care, and it's very low in Western civilizations regarding our health because America is in a health care crisis. And the money they're spending on health care is bankrupting the nation and not helping people. And in the Journal of the American Medical Association, about 10 years ago, and about a year and a half ago, the British Medical Journal both had the same study about the effectiveness of medical health care in the United States. I'm gonna give a fact, it's not me saying this, it's right out of the journal. Medicine, allopathic medicine, is the third leading cause of death in the United States. First is cardiovascular disease, second is cancer, and third has a Latin name, iatrogenic illness, which is Latin for a consequence of medical treatment. So. All of a sudden I said, you want to put all your money and duplicate what we have in the United States? I say, that's stupid. Yeah. You can already see putting more money didn't change it. It's changing the concept of the patient who has to understand they're involved in their own health because we have programmed them to be victims and say, oh, I need a rescuer. And then all of a sudden I say, well, how much is that going to cost? And that's where the cost of medicine comes in. Then I stand back and just simply say, you're paying a very high price for medical care and it's causing the third leading cause of death. Stop and think for a moment of the meaning of just that fact and you'll start to realize putting more money in a system does not make it any better. So where should they put the money? In, in developing consciousness? And consciousness is the source of everything. You go, okay, that sounds like new age thinking. And I go, the most valid science on planet Earth is called quantum physics. There is no science that has been tested more or verified more to be true than quantum physics. So it's the most valid science. I go, so what? The first principle of quantum physics is consciousness is creating your life experience. Change your consciousness and you change the character of your life. In medicine, they refer to it as placebo effect. Changing the consciousness is what heals people, not the treatment, it's the consciousness. And most people don't talk about the nocebo effect because placebo effect is what is the result of positive thinking? Uh, I cured myself with this pill and then found the pill was sugar pill. The pill didn't cure me, it was my belief in the pill. 
And I say, what about negative thinking? Negative belief, I go, that's equally powerful, but it works in the opposite direction. Placebo can heal you of any disease, and what is called nocebo, negative thinking, can cause any disease. And I say, you want to help people? First, correct the consciousness, and then we will be empowered to be healthy. With the pressure of corporations and capitalism yeah. driving for the profit, how are you ever going to break the back of that in order to introduce alternative ways of thinking and healing? I love it because they're breaking their own back because they're raising the prices so people can't afford it. Yeah. And if you can't afford it, you say, well, how am I going to heal myself if I can't go to the conventional thing? And then all of a sudden, complementary alternative medicine uh, has now received more than 50% of patients right. because uh, not only because of cost, but when people go to these healing modalities outside of conventional medicine, they find such relief that they tell all their friends, which sends more people. And so medicine is killing itself. They keep rising the prices unless people can afford it. Fine, I hope they go bankrupt. So, so thinking radically on this, uh, governments who are sponsored 98% of healthcare in Asia Pacific are saying we're going to make a different choice. We're actually going to uh, e equip people with the ability to actually think deeply, think positively, uh, take control of their life and their health. What would that look like? What do you think? We would not need the allopathic medical community like we need them now. Yeah. Cancer is not caused by genes, it's caused by lifestyle. Yeah. If I turn and teach people about lifestyle, 90% of cardiovascular disease has nothing to do other than lifestyle. Cancer is not caused by genes, yeah. it's caused by lifestyle. I go, my God, these diseases are bankrupting us and the healing is not coming from the treatment that's called like the cancer industry how many billions and billions of dollars the doctors aren't making it don't blame the doctors it's the industries that are creating this the pharmaceutical industry the hospital industries these are for-profit corporations let me tell you something that really irritates me and that is this health should not be a profit motive organization health it should be a humanitarian effort. Healing people should not have a price tag on it. Healing people is supposed to help humanity. When you put a price tag on it, you are taking money out of humanity and you're not giving them back the healing they want. Yeah. I want to take a one last question for you because I know you've got lots of people waiting to speak with you. If you applied your same thinking, your philosophy, to the body corporate, Yes. How would we apply some of your thinking to help corporations shift the way they think and behave in order to get a better result? And the answer is very simple. It's called conscious corporations. Yeah. Conscious corporations are there. Yes, you can make a profit, but do you have to make it at the expense of the lowly worker, the factory worker, the guy in the farm, uh, the, the woman who picks the crops? Are you going to take away her livelihood so you at the top can get... 50 million dollars a year as a corporate leader and the idea is conscious corporations say no conscious corporations say everyone in the chain from the very beginning at the lowest level to the top must share in the profits and if you make your profit by cutting the the resources from the poor end you are making a problem worse than we could ever have conscious corporations are the way out they're the ones that say i can still make a profit and share that profit with everybody from the whole lineage of where a product starts to where it is sold. From where you're sitting and the types of ex examples you see in the marketplace, are you hopeful? Do you believe that companies are making the leap? Are there enough out there to set the example for others or is there more work to be done? 
Well, there's more work to be done, but there are fortunately very interesting corporations out there right now here in Asia. Uh, I'm involved with a corporation called Organic India. I'm also involved with a corporation called Fab India. Uh, and these corporations uh, have turned around and said, we must support the workers in the field. And I love it because if you see the workers in these communities, they are so blessed to get a job with these corporations because it's sort of like if they, they hold that job, their future is secure. And this is the most loyal workers you could ever get because they know that the corporation is giving back and they work for sharing rather than giving their work to other people. And I see these are rising. And yet we still have the other big corporations, but they're falling. They're falling because they're taking the money out and not giving anything back in a product that is worthy of the world. Yeah. Bruce, uh, such a delight to speak with you. Thank you for taking time out. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. I am having a wonderful rest of my life, you know. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Well said. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Bruce. That was my conversation with Dr. Bruce Lipton, author, researcher, scientist, lecturer, and forerunner of a new way of thinking about health, wellness, and consciousness. To spend time with Bruce is to witness the emergence of a new way of living and operating in the world. His research informs his life, and his life emanates the power and promise of his research. His enthusiasm is contagious and holds promise of unleashing a pandemic of hope. My words convey the possibility of my own infection. And so it is in this week's Asia Insider Minute, we contemplate both the power and potential of resting back control of our own personal health, and by extension, consider the degree to which that ability could challenge and even unwind a healthcare industry that finds profit in peril. As Bruce makes clear, this is not a blanket condemnation of the modern healthcare system. Doctors are masters in addressing medical trauma, and millions of lives are saved every year thanks to these professionals. But here's another truth. Life is precious. So precious that a multi-billion dollar healthcare industry has been built up around it. We've come to rely on doctors and medical specialists who, using diagnostics and drugs, tell us how we feel and how to fix it. Lipton goes so far as to suggest that we've outsourced to others what we should be managing ourselves. Please don't misunderstand. Most of us have known some form of sickness and suffering, and it's only natural that we reach out for help and support when confronted with healthcare trauma. It's also true that our bodies and our minds, like our cars, only receive specialist help after something is broken. It's no wonder, then, that throughout the developed world, we've listed towards curative and away from preventive care. Pills have proven a quick fix to ailments that are otherwise largely addressable through preventive means. Taking a pill for high cholesterol? What if you'd eaten less fatty and processed foods for 15 years prior? Struggling with anxiety or depression? There's a pill for that too. What about a mindfulness practice? It takes time and discipline, but wouldn't it be better than relying long-term on pharmaceuticals to alter your brain's chemical balance? If this sounds flippant, I don't mean it to be. But like materialism itself, we as a race have been partly cornered into the belief that the only means to health and happiness is a dependence on an industry that manufactures high-cost products to control what we are oftentimes capable of managing ourselves. I'm speaking here to hundreds of millions of generally healthy human beings who have a choice and are living outside a state of medical or healthcare trauma. The message is clear, and as Lipton has told us, and I quote, pharmaceutical drugs are no replacement for our ability to heal ourselves. It's consciousness that controls our genes, end quote.
It's a message roundly refuted by the pharmaceutical sector, but increasingly science is proving otherwise. That's it for this week's episode of Inside Asia. How's your health? What role does consciousness play? We want to know what you think. Send us your thoughts. Rate and comment on this episode wherever you download and listen to podcasts, or visit us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Don't have time to listen, but want a quick synopsis of our discussion? Then sign up for the Inside Asia newsletter by visiting us at www.insideasiaadvisors.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage, fill in your name and email, and start receiving our weekly update. Until next time, this is Steve Stein saying, coming from the outside on Inside Asia. Inside Asia.